This podcast is sponsored by the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth and their exhibition Robin O'Neill, We the Masses, on view from October 18th through February 9th, 2020. Featuring 20 years of the artist's drawings, collages, and an animated film, the show is the first to examine the developments of O'Neill's work over the past two decades. For more information, visit themodern.org. Hello and welcome to Glass Tire. This is a podcast that we are recording at the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. I am Christina Reese and I am here with Robin O'Neill. This is a solo exhibition. It is is this your first retrospective at a major museum? It is. Okay. Can yeah. you tell me how this show came about? Yeah, it's a good story, actually. I, a couple years back with Brian Gibb here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, he started a new publication company called Archon. And I was one of the first books he published, uh, basically a monograph of my work, and it was called 20 Years of Drawings. So that was already exciting. And as I told everyone around that time, this is pretty much all I ever wanted. I mean, I am such an art book and a book fanatic and collector that this is what I wanted all along. And the reason I loved making drawings was they look good in books, in my opinion. So anyway, that was really exciting. And then it was over a year later, Kelly O'Connor of Ruby City, Mm -hmm. she got asked by New York Magazine to... uh, I don't. I guess to say what her favorite art book of the year was, and she was very kind in just in saying that it was mine, and because of that, that got people at the museum talking and relooking at my book, and that sort of prompted the whole idea. Like, I think it's time for Robin to have a full floor show of all of these, because I don't think it ever occurred to people how much work I've made. I'm 42, and I will say, now that I'm seeing the show, it does kind of look like I've been doing this for 85 years or something. Not that I'm that good, but somehow I've never left my house, and I've just made a lot of work. And I don't just make work for work's sake to make a lot of work, but I just happen to have, I've been a lot more prolific than people give me credit for because my drawings take so long. Right. But I really make a lot of work, and so this is the first time anything like this has ever happened and I think it makes a lot more sense of me all of these little side steps I've taken and made little side projects they're all kind of included and represented here so and it kind of makes sense obviously I think it makes sense that it's here in Texas so just a little bit of background for our listeners Robin O'Neill you lived in Houston for a certain period of time you're in Los Angeles now Mm -hmm. I first started to see your work I think I was still living elsewhere but I came back to Texas around 2004 2005 and your name was on everybody's lips. And I was in Dallas, and you were in Houston, and I started to see your work a lot. And you were making this jump from being a Texas artist or a Houston artist to something much bigger than that. And it was exciting. And now I feel like, and probably it's the circles that I run in, but I do get to see your work. I see it in private collections. I see it in museums. You're very collected. It's very nice to see so much of your work in one place. It's Actually, it's excellent. And um, but tell me about your Houston years or your connection to Texas. Oh man! Well, first of all, I grew up in Grapevine from sixth grade until I graduated high school. So this is my neighborhood that I grew up in, basically. And I would, at a very young age, I would get even my older friends when I was fourteen and fifteen to take me to. Specifically, I was obsessed with Fort Worth at the time, and I would go to whatever the art crawls were or something like that. But I would come to the museums. I saw my first Van Gogh painting at the Kimball. I saw my first Philip Guston painting, which blew my mind, which is also on 
on the floor outside of my show right now, which kind of is just a complete, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just, I don't even know how to say what I feel about that. But all of these things were really influential. So anyway, I am a Texan. I grew up in Nebraska before that. I'm a little bit of both, but I've been in Texas for the majority of my life. So I was also compelled to come back for mysterious reasons. I had no idea I was in Chicago for grad school. Mm -hmm. I was doing pretty well. Everything was going fine, but something was telling me I had to leave and go back to Texas. But I had no, nothing, I, I, so I dropped out of college and I came back to Texas for no good reason. I started to work at Starbucks and I was preparing for my first show at Angstrom, like my first full mm -hmm. solo show. And I was working nights and had all those weird experiences preparing for that show. And about a month into working at Starbucks and living in my boyfriend at the time's parents' house, and I mean, I was kind of a, being a loser, to be honest with you. I was like not, I did not have it together and I had no idea why I left this amazing, I had a full ride to UIC in Chicago, was being taught by Carrie James Marshall. I'm like, see ya, mm -hmm. I got things to do in Texas. But about a month in, I got a call from Art Pace, and they said, uh, we have, I don't know, we got your name and we're trying to get our next Texas resident because that's how they always do it, right? A yeah. Texas resident, a U.S. resident, and an international who, resident. Who was picking the artist for that round? This was crazy because it was Laura Hauptman who had just done the Drawing Now show, which was the first time drawing had really been elevated in a way for contemporary artists. And so I thought I knew about that somehow because I never know anything about anything, especially when it comes to art news or anything, but I knew about her, she was on my radar. And so I decided like, oh my God, they're like, she wants us, so we're gonna set up a studio visit. And I didn't even have a studio, I was working on the, the dining room table of my boyfriend's parents' house. Mm -hmm. So I bought a special portfolio, it was like a fake snakeskin portfolio box that was so cheesy, brought it to Angstrom, David Quadrini let me have my meeting there, and Laura Hopman comes, and here she is, like the premier curator for Works on Paper, and we had, this talk about my work, it was just the little sweatsuit guys with no background. They were very basic at the time and mm -hmm. some boats and dinosaurs because my show- Were they smaller? Very small. Uh, the biggest one was like 11 by eight or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she was, I, it was going well, but then I said something like, these guys are kind of like John Goodman on the show Roseanne because that's <laughs> always how I refer to them. And I said something about how I think John Goodman is the best actor alive, and she didn't agree with me. And I, we kind of got in an argument about it. I go, what do you mean you don't agree that he's a great actor? So we kind of got into this little argument. I thought, well, for sure I'm not gonna get this art pace residency, but I think somehow that did work out for me, and I did get the residency. And then to come back to why Texas, I mean, I could go on and on, but long story short, short then I went to Art Pace, mm -hmm. and um, while I was working on the piece that's actually up right now, and it's in the show. And, and by the way, we're looking, we're sitting in the auditorium at the Fort Worth Modern, and we're looking at a giant screen with one of your triptychs on it because Robin is going to be in conversation with Tyler Green in just a couple of hours. So. That's right. So this one was my Art Pace piece, mm -hmm. the first triptych I ever made. I I went from making eight by 10 drawings on like really lame typing paper. And then I suddenly made this huge piece that's like 14 feet by eight feet tall. But as I'm almost done with it, the curator for the next biennial, the curators came through just because art pace was so important, mm -hmm. you know, and people knew to come to San Antonio just to see art pace. Yeah. And 
as a result, this piece got chosen for the Whitney Biennial. And um, so that's how that started. And that's what you're talking about is like, then it got a little bit crazy. What year was that? That was, so I made this in 2013. I was at ArtPace then, and the Biennial was 2004. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So what made you scale up like this? It was, I, you know, that's a good question. I will say, I don't really know. I just knew that, oh, I know, actually, Art Pace said they sent me the floor plan of the studio. And at the time, I was just working on a really low-quality drafting table that was very tiny in the corner of my living room in this apartment complex, which, by the way, this apartment complex ended up becoming the Drawing Institute in Houston. Oh, that's, the exact That's what was there. Yes, it was this horrible, shitty, sorry if I can't say that, beat me out, but it was this horrible apartment complex, and that's where I started my career, and anyway, when I got the, it was all in the mail, this wasn't even email, I look at this floor plan, I'm like, this thing is huge, I'm used to working on a drafting table, they're going to think this is really lame if I just make a bunch of small drawings, so that's what occurred to me, I was like, I've got to use this space or I won't be appreciating what they're giving me. So I conceived of this piece, which was, uh, you know, kind of loosely based on Hieronymus Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights. Yeah. And I just replaced all of the, of his men with my men with sweatsuits. And actually, um, up in the show here at the Modern, we have a vitrine of all of my plans for a lot of the big pieces. And there's a little, I printed out on a Xerox Garden of Earthly Delights and drew little sweatsuits on top of the men to see if it would look good, and I thought it did. So anyway, that's what I ended up doing was just kind of like taking advantage of that. But here's the very important note about that is that it never occurred to me to scale up the men as I scaled up the paper. I just kind of left them really tiny, which meant that started this whole thing that's been the rest of my career, which is doing really laborious, way too time-consuming things. Because I was just apparently not smart enough to think, oh, when you scale up, you make the men and the trees and the whatever much bigger. But I didn't do that. I kept them little, which even though I'm making fun of myself, I'm so glad I didn't because this is what I love that. I mean, I'm so I love zooming way, way, way out and looking at human beings like we're little ants on the planet Earth. But you'll make that you'll keep you kept the men small, but you'll scale up the animals. I know. So I like animals more. That's the only, that's, that's the very what I easy. was trying to get out of you. <laughs> because I also make the animals look way more beautiful mm -hmm. and romantic mm -hmm. and they're tenderly drawn. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I draw really human are. beings, we look like complete dolts. We just look stupid. I draw them stupidly on purpose. They're, I was just telling someone, um, Mike judges drawings for Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. And, I, and obviously being from North Texas, that resonates a lot. That was what I kind of looked to to make. It was sort of a model for these guys in the early days of creating these sweatsuit characters. They were supposed to look like they don't really know why they're here to begin with. Whereas, you know, you see a deer or you see an owl or even the trees and the leaves and the whatever, ferns, they look really elegant and like they know their place on this planet. Whereas mm -hmm. we humans just look like we are completely fumbling around. Oh, these guys are just, these are exercises in futility from composition to composition. And yet you're putting them in these quite sort of religious, you know, altarpiece type configurations. Tell me about that, the altarpiece. Yeah, it started because I just have a natural tendency to love pre-Renaissance and Renaissance Italian 
altarpiece paintings and just religious painting in general, especially Italian. I mean, I grew up Catholic. Uh -huh. You grow up with that imagery in your head and also the darkness that people talk about my work has so much to do. It's more like realism to me, but um, not realistically drawn, but realism in that people are awful. We torture each other. Uh, people die. It's as simple as that. So to me, I mean, does it make me upset? Sure. but. It's so anyway, but that back to the triptychs and the pan altarpieces, I'm really just drawn to that. And I think in a way, I mean, I'm, I don't know how comfortable I am with this about myself and the way I make work, but I think I am doing, I am playing God and I am, you know, I set out to draw these men and kill them eventually. I knew I was going to do that, which is why there's no women is because if they had women, sure enough, at one point somebody's gonna procreate and have chance for survival with little ones running around. And also, I didn't wanna draw little kids, that's way too cute for me. That nope. has nothing to do with what I'm about. Right. So, um, yeah, and I, so I was, these are sort of, they're not really morality tales, but they have a lot to do with the end of the world. They have a lot to do with if we ignore one another and ignore animals and ignore the earth how it's all gonna crumble and fall, which is what I made sure did happen. Yeah, well, <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, that's great. So the, um, the sort of, the through line then for, this is nearly 20 years worth of work, and that seems to be the thing that takes you from the, the very first images all the way up to now. Very prescient, obviously. Also, though, timeless and historical. Um, what would you say are some of the, th the things that do link your earliest pieces in this show to the most recent ones? It's a good question. I think there's a lot of uh, discomfort with just anyth anything that exists isn't quite, uh, it's never drawn like it makes total sense. Everything's always just a little bit off and a little bit awkward to me. There's also this sort of hovering quality that is throughout the whole show. That's what I noticed where a lot of things are floating in the sky. Levitating, a lot of Levitating, yes. mm -hmm. le levitation. Um, just like nobody knowing quite where they have to go. Nobody being finished. There's heads, there's limbs without tr the trees they're meant to be with and all this stuff. So there's that sort of uh, displacement mm -hmm. and dismantling always was the case. There's not, I mean, I do think it's changed pretty drastically, especially with the newest triptych, which is called An Unkindness, which is all color. Which is, by the way, that is a stunning stunning piece thank you i need to hear it because it's new so i'm glad i i need to hear it because it's so new and it's I such got chills. a i mean you i was did? walking up to it i was just like wow thank you yeah. so would you say i've gotten better let's just ask you, you a know, question you um, know i i like to see an artist evolve <laughs> mm -hmm. and um so that was exciting because uh because i liked the direction mm -hmm. uh, but with that i want to ask you and yeah i mean I, I i like the old work i like the new work i'm i'm sentimental for your older work because yeah. I, I feel like I've almost you know through my adult life sort of grown up with it but you started to introduce color texture collage mm. I like this good so, I yeah. hope you like it too I do that's why I was asking because I am curious I, I can always ask people that question and by the way at the end of every show if anybody's around I'm like what's your favorite piece what's your least favorite piece I like knowing those things which artists look at me like what are you why do you ask those questions but I'm really curious it's not going to steer me either direction but what I was getting at was I walked through the show for the first day. It wasn't quite hung, but everything was leaning on the walls mm -hmm. the first time I got here last week. And it is truly like, to me, I feel like I am two different people almost. I mean, I look back mm -hmm. and I see those early pieces. And first of all, they're very old. Some of them feel very old. I mean, it was a long time ago for some of those. And so... I very much stand by them, but I do think I've gotten a lot more mature with my imagery and the way I place things. And 
but I also recognize that they're not as likable. They're not as easy to like. There's something about the early work of mine that people have a lot to talk about. You can talk about anything. For instance, any of those triptychs, you can walk up and be like, oh, look at that little dog. That looks like my dog Henry. Or, oh my God, that They'll old man is just project drunk. onto it whatever they There's need to. There's a million ways to do that. And I think that was an accidental good strategy to get people interested in my work. I didn't set out like, oh, I'm going to get people interested. This is just what I was drawing. But it was very easy for people to see these and understand them a little bit more. Whereas my work now is harder to understand. I mean, even for me, and I like that. I like being in this part of my life as an artist where I'm transitioning in a major way. And I really feel like I've just begun. I'm going to be 43 in April. I look at some of my heroes, back to Kerry James Marshall. Mm -hmm. When you look at his work, I saw the retrospective he had yeah. all over the place. And I saw it in LA. And I'm like, in my opinion, as good as those early pieces are, he didn't get started until he was like 45. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I'm really looking at going, whoa, uh, I can't get enough of them. So I ho only can hope that I'm at that stage where, I mean, I was a kid who set out to be an artist by the time I was like walking around. I said I would be an artist when I was five. Mm. It's all I've ever cared about doing. But um, so I do feel like if I'm granted enough time on earth, I think that I may look at these early people. I don't know what I'll think. I'm glad I made them. I do like them a little bit. <laughs> I really like the new ones better. And unkindness, I think, is a really important piece uh, for me. That it, it allowed me to really challenge myself. I mean, I even painted on it, which I never thought would mm -hmm. happen. Yeah, I saw that. Anyway, I don't know. I, I don't know how to talk about it, but I'm, I do see, I'm very excited that I'm okay with changing that much. Cause there was certainly a time where it was scary to drop these sweatsuit guys and move on. And one of the things you're doing is kind of dropping some of the elements of narrative. Yes, exactly. There's still recognizable imagery, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't like that at the end either. That's a, that's a really good point. That's what, that is what I got really tired of. I didn't want it to be like, so here's the story. Mm -hmm. These guys started here and then they were bad to each other. And then this tsunami came. I mean, that's great. I love how everything I say is just me like picking apart my work, but <laughs> I think that's what you have to do if you want to ever continue to get better. I and, think you're right. Yeah. And so now I really want, I know for me, the things I'm most excited about in art are when I walk into a room and I'm just completely jarred and I don't understand what's going on. That's mm -hmm. what I get really excited about. So don't you think this is, that this is just the growing up process, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you were almost a kid mm -hmm. when the first stuff came out. Yeah. You were a kid by today's standards. I was. And now you're a grown up. Exactly. And gray areas are more interesting. They're more interesting because that's how life, uh, I understand it that way now, where mm -hmm. I, I am a very naturally extreme person. I used to be very much like, I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. Whatever it is, I never had any in between with anything. Mm -hmm. I lived very extremely too, which extreme, that sounds like I was cool, like riding motorcycles or something. But really what that meant was I never left my home and I only worked. And that was my extreme mm -hmm. way. But now I'm not that way anymore. And I've learned it didn't serve me as a human being. And I really, as much as I love making work, I finally, in the last like five years, care about being a human being and enjoying life a little bit more, which I didn't care about. So there's a little bit of that. And then before we you know, hit record, we were talking about how, what, oh yeah, when I said, if I say something weird, just leave it in. I just don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to edit myself mm -hmm. or be all worried about things that come off weird. Like if I said it, that's how it is. I'll take the repercussions. I'm growing up in that way, which I think is really important. And I also think that's 
true of my work. I, if somebody doesn't like it, I kind of don't care anymore, where I did care before. I think and now I realize like if I'm behind what I'm doing, other people will fall in line. And I didn't have that confidence before. And it's not really like utter confidence. It's just growing up. This is just how, what I didn't mean to get here, but thank God I am because the other way is exhausting. So. so when you walk through the show, and I mean, this must be the first time you've seen all of this work together. Oh, yeah. Tell me what the effect was on you. Well, I can't wait to spend more time with it because it's basically been very, not businessy, but technical. And I need to spend time. And I, I'm going to feel weird. I've already been thinking about telling like guards and curators, whatever, like, don't think I'm weird that I'm absorbing my show like I'm the biggest fan of it. But I need to spend time. And I recommend that for any artist. Before your show opens, you've got to sit in there and take a look at everything together, if it's at a gallery, if it's at a museum. I need more time with it. But I will tell you, the first thought I had was like, kind of what I started with is, I cannot believe I've made this much work. And this is only like a tenth of it. I mean, truly it is. Really? Yeah. I've made- Well, you were sitting at home and working I really, all the time, yeah, weren't you? I really was. I don't, I don't really like doing anything else. I mean, I don't like hiking. I don't know why that's my example. I hate hiking, so I'm just gonna <laughs> Cause drop. Cause you're in LA, and so that's <laughs> the thing you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. You're right, I have to tell people, I'm not gonna hike with you. That's not gonna happen. I'll walk up and down the street to the drugstore to get sparkling water, but that's about it. Yeah, um, yeah no, it, this is a very, even though this is a lot of work, it's a very small amount of work, of the work I've made. So I'm also kind of going like, this is a sickness or something. Like, it feels a little bit weird. But I do think another thing that I was struck with with other people just kind of telling me what they were seeing, and I was thinking it, but I didn't have words for it, where this, there is more to look at in this show than maybe any show I've ever seen in my life. It's kind of weird. And I, what I mean by that is there's just a lot of little things. I mean, if anybody likes details, I think this is, I've never seen a show with more kind of details when it comes to works on paper in my entire life. It's kind of insane to me. And I say that just trying to be very outside of my own body. Like, it, it, to me, I would love to see something like that because that's what I uh, get excited about. But the details are almost like tangents that are existing within the same sort of frame of thoughts. And that to me, it, it makes it make more sense that you chose graphite. Yeah. But tell me about why drawing. Why drawing? Why graphite on paper? Well, the first reason, I was always a painter. I loved painting. And then when I was at UIC, a wonderful artist, a professor, Susan Sensiman, just kind of was like, hey, I hate to tell you this, your paintings and sculptures and installations are really not that good, but your drawings are. I always had drawings kind of sitting around, and I didn't think they were good. She's like, they're way better than this work you think is your work. And she goes, I dare you to never pick up a paintbrush again. Or she said for six months or something. And then I just never picked up a paintbrush again. I just did what she said for some weird reason. It made sense to me. So, and I also, to be honest, when I was at grad school, I loved a lot of the people who were there, don't get me wrong, but I didn't want to be up at the school. I wanted to be at home because I am really love to just be at home. And I had a cat that I wanted to be around, mm -hmm. and I love watching TV while I draw. So mm -hmm. I was like, this is easier to do this because I was renting an apartment with carpet. I didn't couldn't paint in there. So I was like, well, I can draw in here. So it was all kind of weird, kind of bizarre reasons for it. It was just basically I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to watch TV and I <laughs> didn't want to mess up my apartment so that I could get my deposit back. I mean, those are the reasons. And the reason I'm telling that is because I think more when I talk to younger artists at, at universities, they need to make work that makes sense with their lifestyle. And I think that's a, there's a lot of people, even when you've seen them working for 30 years, who are just like, 
oh, like complaining about the way their studio is going or what they're doing. It's like because they're not doing it the way they, they that works for their lifestyle. And so for me, that's why I've been able to make so much work too, is just because I like the way I work at home in that manner. But what's so interesting about that to me is that, you know, and in, in, in Texas especially where there's tons of space and people will really just use their kitchen or their garage as their studio or whatever, and a lot of things end up being very domestically sized. But you were like, no, no, no. I'm gonna do the giant yeah. altarpiece triptychs with huge pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. You still sort of got around that. I did. I have done that. Every single piece I've ever made has been in a second bedroom of an apartment or house I've lived in. I've never had a studio. I'm, I'm just about to finish up having an official studio that I'm building. But this is this is it's not even done yet. So anything you see up there, I've made in a bedroom. And that really is true, and I'll, I'll get it, I will just put it as on the biggest wall in my house. I've, I, I just like it that way. And yeah, you're right, I, it's funny, I don't know, I mean, I, it's a bit torturous. I don't know why I torture myself, because I do a lot of these big pieces too, I have to lay upside down on the floor in order to get to the bottom, because it's kind of hard to explain, but if, you're on the, if your paper is all the way to the ground, you can't get your arm working in the way it works if it's up at a normal level. So you, I have to lay upside down to draw in order to do it but usually it's like a you know carpeted room or something since I'm just I, it, all the time in Houston which the majority of these large pieces were made in was a suburban house with carpet wall-to-wall -wall, and I just lay on the carpet and make my work do you use loop no what I don't need, oh is that a magnifying mm -hmm. glass no I don't even know that word that's fascinating to me loop Oh, you did that. give it uh, seven years and you will be using a loop. <laughs> I'm sure I will. My, my eyes are just now getting back. I lost eyesight in my left eye not long ago. For a long time, it was really scary. It could have been permanent, but I had this, oh, and my pupil was shaped like a hot dog, and then it started to form into the shape of a shamrock. It was the weirdest thing. And I had a retina specialist. It was really gross, but he got in there with a Q-tip mm -hmm. after numbing my eye and just circled it out. It was a, the weirdest thing ever. But anyway, back to the loop. No, I've never, but it's funny you say that because my boyfriend can't see any of these things. And so we went to Walgreens and bought him a magnifying glass mm -hmm. that he, he, now he will look at the works with that. And I thought about telling the curator, we may need magnifying glasses for some of this stuff, especially in the hell drawing, which everything is so tiny. Right, right. I got to say, I mean, getting it very, very close. I mean, and the lines are so clean. Thank you. I, I mean, I like hearing that. So, yeah, you're going to have to start using some help in a few years, I'm just sure. But that's fine. I will. But a lot of artists do. It's fine. <laughs> I can do it. It's, it won't. Not, it's not going to be a big deal. No, I can handle it. <laughs> um, what surprises you most about the show, about when you see all the work together? Like, what has surprised you where you're like, I didn't even realize this about myself? You know what? I knew I worked clean. But what you just said really surprised me. When I see how clean the paper is, how perfect... I keep the white space. I'm, I'm amazed that that's possible even after framing. So that's kind of a technical, boring answer. But I really am like, man, these look really clean mm -hmm. and pristine, mm -hmm. which they're put through a lot when they travel and uh, get into frames and when I have to pack them up and leave the studio. The other thing is, I don't, I think how funny a lot of these drawings are. I, I've always thought there was a sense of humor to I them. I wanted to ask you about that specifically. I love humor in art. I think it's important. And what mm -hmm. you've done is this magical, wonderful thing where you're putting together danger and death and it's almost comedy. It is, right? Thank you for saying that. And back to John Goodman, I remember reading an interview with him where he said, when he feels his best as an actor is when he imbues comedy into his dramatic roles and when he 
does the opposite as well. Mm -hmm. So to put drama into the comedic roles, which is why he's so good. And he is so good. He is, thank you. So you agree. Oh we won't gosh. get to fight yes, about yes, this. Yes. All right. Um, good. But yeah, we, so I think that's what I'm so glad that comes across. And mm -hmm. even hearing some of the prep team and the curators, like they say, they keep going like as they post images of my hell drawing, like hashtag happy holidays, hashtag Merry Christmas, just because it's so <laughs> ridiculous. This is a, there's a lot of darkness, but it is very funny. And the way I draw, formally speaking, I can't put it into words, but I know what I'm doing when there are things drawn in a funny manner. And they're humorous. The way the guys react to one another, the way the guys are drawn. So I'm just really relieved. I've never gotten a chance to see this many of my works together. So I think that that goes from the beginning to the very end. They're very funny at the beginning. And things are not so much in an unkindness, that big colorful piece, but there's a piece called Low American Grace where I'm quoting Oprah and Roger Ebert and just writing their names in there. And Oprah just, I mean... It's one of the final big pieces in the back yep. space that's long and you've put notes on there. Yep. And yep, yep, yeah, yep. I just used it like it's one of my notes. It's just looser too, isn't it's it? It's way looser, which feels good. It's What I set out to do was... I love my composition books. I use them every day of my life for everything. Mm -hmm. Write down phone numbers, write notes of the movie I just saw, whatever. And I just decided to approach, put that piece of paper on the wall and just approach it like I do my composition books. And so I was listening to a podcast about the beginnings of Oprah Winfrey, how she became Oprah Winfrey. And she said, out of nowhere, she's just talking about something about her life. And then she's like, you know what? I hate balloons. And she just starts talking about how she hates balloons for no reason. I thought it was so funny. So I have a, I've quoted her for her hatred of balloons on there. I mean, it's, to me, that's funny. But anyway, so there's that. I, I realize I'm kind of coming back to that. I got very... I mean, the hell drawing is even funny, and it is really dark and horrid. I mean, I am embarrassed that I even drew it half the time with how many bad, horrible things are happening on it. But somehow that's kind of funny at times, too. I mean, people are always laughing at these things. So I think that's the biggest surprise. And it makes me very pleased to know that it come, the humor is coming through. Because I get pegged a lot with being, like, a very dark artist. Like, usually the title of any essay or interview with me has something. The word dark is always there. Which I'm fine with. I get it. It's I true. think that it has almost as much to do with the fact that it, these are essentially black and white. Right. That's true. I think that's that's it. And uh, yeah, and that makes sense to me. But yeah, that's interesting. That it just color... means that people need to actually go ahead and get up close to the thing and really look at it. Yeah. I and mean, you're is... asking people to spend a little bit of time. I really am. And I and I want them to. That was mm -hmm. always a big goal. And, and I even was talking earlier, some of the pieces that are a little more you're unsure what's even happening, if it's a landscape, if it's not... So sort of that middle ground of my work, I, I actually really like that. I think these early pieces, uh, back to the early versus kind of mid and new drawings, again, it's easy to find things and stand there and look at it. The kind of newer work is a little more, it, it at first glance appears a little bit boring in comparison, but I love that. And I think I want to draw people in and those who choose to stand there for a while will get the benefits of whatever I'm trying to say with it. And those who don't, they can just move on. It's not a big deal. But I want, I want a slow, my work is a slow read. It mm -hmm. just is. Mm -hmm. It takes time and quiet. And I think it's getting more and more like that as time goes on too, which I'm glad. It's almost as though you're you're going to impose some of your own process of making the work onto your Maybe I viewers. Am. Yeah, and it's I like always... I did this, so you're gonna have to do it too. Exactly. Come along with me on this journey. <laughs> I like it, and I like anything that slows people down. Right. And you know, I'm a big encourager encourager of people just reading and mm -hmm. not being on their phones all the time mm -hmm. and whatever. You know, I have this podcast, me reading stuff that was is all about 
people need to spend time away from their devices mm-hmm. and just really read like people have for since the early days. Um, so it's the same thing. I mean, I care about that in my life and I care about that in my work. And I mean, I'm not a quick art viewer. I take my time. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, you know, for things that deserve it anyway. <laughs> so how does it feel to have a mid-career retrospective? It feels, I mean, what can I say? It feels really, really awesome and shocking. And I think, you know, I know that I've been fortunate in having a career doing this for a long time since I was basically, like you said, I mean, I was basically a kid. And I had some of my first shows at real galleries when I was, you know, still a teenager here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, I never thought, I never thought I would have anything like this. I mean, even if I was much, much older, I didn't think I'd see this. This has come as a big surprise You're to me. You're actually young to have a mid-career retrospective. I think so. Don't I mean, I, it really seems that way. But that means you need to gear up for your retrospective Ooh. in another 20 years, and then they'll give you yet another one 20 years <laughs> after that. Let's hope. So this is just the this start. This is the beginning, you yeah. think? I hope. Well, it feels really good. Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say something like, I don't, I, I, it feels nothing but good. I'm amazed and I'm so grateful to Allison Hurst, the curator mm-hmm. for making this happen mm-hmm. because I'm looking around, I really do feel like I'm not really, this is not real is what it feels like. And I'm not just saying that to be cute or anything. It really does. I mean, as good as my career has gone at times, as well as it's gone, I, I, we all feel a little ignored at times, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I, I have my good moments, thing, good things happen to me sometimes. And really all I care about is continue to make work. But when something like this actually happens, it's it's a surprise and it's really good. But I, I will say, and I, I want to say, I do feel like I'm deserving of it. I didn't know until I saw it all, but I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think this is, because, you know, you kind of wonder, you don't want to go in there and be embarrassed. I mean, I really was worried going in. I thought, what if I see this show and it looks horrible and I'm embarrassed for Allison for doing it and the museum and I'm like, what if they get the worst reviews they've ever gotten? I don't know. And then when I saw it though, I'll be honest, I'm not saying like, oh my God, this is the best show I've ever seen, but I am saying like, I deserve this. These drawings deserve a space to be seen together because I think I'll make a lot more sense after this show. I think I'll make more sense to people who choose to pay attention to right. my work. Right, so people who've seen your work in isolation, one piece here, one piece there. Yeah. It's so nice to get to see it all together. Yeah. You do deserve the show. It's a beautiful show. Thank you. Nice job. Congratulations. I'm so glad it's in Texas, too. Oh, my God. I have God. to say, I mean, selfishly, obviously, and being from Dallas-Fort Worth myself, I'm mm. very happy to see it in this museum. Thank you. And I think it all makes sense. I think it does, too. I would never want, I mean, this would be great anywhere, but not really. This is, I mean, this is where I was taught art was in these buildings in this area of Fort Worth so Mm -hmm. for me it is amazing and by the way all of my teachers from junior high and high school and middle school are all coming to the opening or the members opening on Thursday night so I get to see all of the people who encourage us to come here to get extra credit and all that stuff so it's kind that's another thing I mean it's this great full circle it it really is it's awesome so thank you well congratulations thank you great show nice to talk to you you too all right All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth. If you enjoyed this conversation, there is still time to see Robin O'Neill's We the Masses exhibition because it's on view through February 9th, 2020. For more information on the show, visit themodern.org. That's T-H-E-M-O-D-E-R-N, themodern.org.